The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. We talked last week about the body that God gave us, and I had seven points and uh, right out of Proverbs. And if you want to, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 6, uh, 16 through 19 uh, is where we'll be this morning. And I told you we'd get four done last week, and we just got two done. But I'm telling you this morning, we're going to finish the other five. Y'all believe that? We are. We are going to finish the other five. We're going to move quickly. Uh, and we, we talked uh, a little bit about the Lord made man in his own image. That's what the Bible says. And as uh, the only creation that God made in his image is man. With that, he gave us the ability to think. He gave us the ability to reason. He gave us the ability to... Uh, use our minds and use our wills and with all of those things we are set apart from any of the rest of God's creation so as he has set us apart he gave us a body that we might use to glorify him we talked last week about the first two things that we find in Proverbs chapter 6 if you're there this morning Proverbs chapter 6 starting in verse 16 uh, we kind of started this was uh, following up our sermon two weeks ago on pleasing God and really uh, being where God wanted us to be. And uh, we, would, we would hate to do anything that the, that the Lord hates. And I talked a little bit about how that word God and hates really don't go well together. But the Bible says right here there are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes and a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood and a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the brethren. So those, uh, those things there are listed, and these are the things that God hates. And uh, we, we begin to look at those, and I made this statement last week, and I put it to the test this week, and it's really true. The, the hard part of this is hating the things that God hates within ourselves, not within someone else. Uh, I think it's easy for us sometimes to see some of the things that, that in other people that we look and we shake our heads and we say, boy, that's terrible. And it's hard for us to look at ourselves. So what I'm doing through these things is I, I, I'm going to try to look at myself, and I want you to look at yourself, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Uh, are these any of these things that you're doing that God really hates to see you do? And uh, last week I told uh, uh, our highway patrol we have coming here, and uh, Dustin Hunter, and uh, uh, I lied to him one time. Now, I didn't tell you I lied to you, but you knew because uh, we were about four years ago. Dana, was you with me? Dana was with me. We were not speeding. <laughs> Donna was with me. Ron, was you with us or was uh, John was with us? We was just a bunch of church guys just having fun. I got stopped for speeding on Country Club Road. And uh, so Dustin came and said, uh, you were speeding. And I may have been going a mile or two over, you know. But we were going to visit. We were going out visiting is what we were doing. But that wasn't my lie. He said, You're, uh, you don't have an inspection sticker. 
a registration sticker, and I said, well, I don't have to have one. I said, this is a brand new truck. Y'all remember this conversation we had? <laughs> Dina don't ever forget, so if y'all ever mess up in front of her, she makes a list. I feel sorry for her husband. I bet she's got a list this long. And uh, he said, yeah, you've got to have a sticker. And I said, no, when you buy a new truck, they give you two years till you have to register it. He said, that's not right. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. I got two years. He said, that's not right. He said, you have to have a registration sticker. I said, no. I said, when I bought the truck, they told me that, uh, that it's good for two years. He said, yeah, but you have to have the sticker. And uh, I said, I don't think that's right. I was lying, but I didn't know I was lying. I really believed that, Dustin. I thought I was telling you the truth. Dustin finally went, okay, whatever. You know, he, 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 he said, oh, I'm not making any ground with this guy. And uh, he and I didn't know each other very well at all then. And uh, so he let me go, and I called up to the Ford dealership later, and I said, hey, it's, I got stopped. They said, I got to have this. Said, oh, yeah, we mailed you the sticker. I said, no, you didn't. They said, yes, we did. Here we went around again, you know. So pretty much I'm always right unless I'm wrong. And uh, so I was wrong, and uh, I was wrong there, and I was wrong. Uh, I've been wrong a time or two other than those times, but uh, when we talk about the misuse of our eyes and our tongues and different things we're going to talk about today. Sometimes it's not on purpose. Sometimes we can look back as I did and say, you know what, I was wrong and I was, I, I told an untruth, but I thought it was true at the time. So when we look at this, I don't want us to look at ourselves through the eyes of God and say, okay, uh, I've done some things, but they, I didn't mean to do that. Because the things that, that are laid out here in this list are things that we purposely do. We purposely put a plan into place. We purposely begin to move forward with these ideals. And the first thing that's listed here, and we talked about it's good to make a list because we, we kind of have something that we can refer back to. The first is this, the misuse of our eyes, and that's pride. And we talked about this last week. I'm not going to go through all of our message from last week, but pride in what uh, the, psalmist, uh, the, the, the writer here, Solomon, is talking about is he's talking about uh, the pride that we have. And we looked at scriptures that say, you know, pride comes before the fall and talked about arrogance and talked about all of these different things. Uh, and really, the pride is the beginning of most all sins. So when God looks at us and we have that proud look, we have that prideful look that basically says we're just a little bit ahead of everyone else and we really don't need anyone else, then we're placing ourselves kind of on the same level with God. And God hates that. The second thing we looked at, and this is kind of where my story began, was misuse of the tongue. And, uh, and just simply, the, the simply put, just lying, just, just uh, making up lies. I bet you every one of us here knows people that that would as soon climb a tree to lie to you when they could stand on the ground and tell you the truth. I mean, it, they just, it just comes natural to them nearly. It, it's, it's just the fact that they've lied and it's become part of who they are and, and they just spit them out. I mean, it just, without much thought. And I think we need to be careful about that because God says, I hate the misuse of the tongue. 
I hate when people lie, and I love David's prayer. I want to look at it one more time. Psalms 120, verse 2 says, David prayed this, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. See, David said, Lord, I, I need you to deliver me from that, from, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. So God gives us that, starts that list. He says the misuse of our eyes is one thing that he finds detestable. The misuse of our, uh, our tongues, he finds these detestable. And the third thing, now those two things last week we spent a lot of time on because I think those are things that, that we really struggle with and we really have to deal with. This next thing, I hope uh, a lot of us don't have to deal with this third one, but the third is this, the misuse of our hands. And the context in which he uses this, the misuse of our hands, he uses as murder of, of the innocent. And that's, that's what he says, the misuse of our hands. And, and it's, it's heartless cruelty, and it's, it's a deviation from the will of God. We know that. And he says, I hate those that strike out against innocent lives and, and take those lives. And murder of the innocent is why God allows governments to exercise capital punishment. God allows that. And, and if we look here in his word, and we're going to go to Numbers, the, the shedding of innocent blood, it puts a curse on the land. In Numbers chapter 35, 30 through 34, it says this, anyone who kills a person is to be put to death. Now you can say, okay, Jake, you're getting in the old covenant, the old testament, the old law. Remember, Christ said, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And then you say, okay, what, what laws do we, well, do we still, are we still under? Now, we're under grace, so we're not under the law. I don't have time to, to talk about all this. But God repeated this in the New Testament. So he wanted to, he wanted to reiterate it. Hey, I have not done away with this. I, I still hate murder. I, I still hate the shedding of innocent blood. So as we go back and we say, okay, God put this law out there. He put this, uh, he put this, uh, uh, thing together that said, hey, here's, here's how to take place when, when there's a murder. He still talks about that in the New Testament. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses. In other words, several witnesses. He goes on and says, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Then he says, do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. They are to be put to death. Do not accept the ransom from anyone who has fled to a city of refuge. And we don't have time to go there, but during this time there were cities and there were temples that, that murderers could go to and they'd go inside this temple and they were, they were protected. And then the priest would die and they would buy their way out. So he says that's, why, that's what this is talking about. Do not accept the ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge, so allowing them to come back and live on their own land before the death of the high priest. Now look at this. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land. Remember that statement. I'm going to talk about it just a little bit this morning. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot be made for the land on which the blood has been shed except by the blood of the one who has shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the Israelites. I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, and I think one of the one of the reasons, and I, I think we probably all believe this, one of the reasons I think America's foundations are crumbling, and I hope you realize that they are crumbling, the foundation that we were built upon, I believe it's because of the, 
the, the murder of thousands and tens of thousands of innocent children. I mean, I think that's where our nation has begun to crumble, not only there, but in marriage. I think the, the downfall of the, of the marriage between a man and a woman is another reason our nation's foundation is crumbling. But if you look at what God says, they are definitely the innocent victims. And the hands that, that, that shed innocent blood, the innocent blood of children today, because of the corrupt government and because of liberals who run and seek to undermine the foundation of our country, I believe that's why our foundation is shaking. And, and I believe when we look at this uh, passage of Scripture and we think about the misuse of the hands, I think we're, we can apply that today is in that very area. What do we do as Christians about that? That's another message for another time. But remember this, God called us Christians to be salt and light. And you know what salt is? It's a preservative. And even though we can't keep the foundations from crumbling... We can preserve what we've got. We can slow down that process. And as we have opportunity, we need to be a preservative today. There's many ways that we can do that. We can do that through prayer. We can do that through our vote. We can do that through making our voice known. And, and there's a lot of ways for us to be involved in that. But remember, with the, crown day, the foundations are crumbling. God said, you're to be the salt. You're to be the preservative. And you're to be the one shining a light which is going to delay the decay of America. Here's the fourth thing. So we have misuse of our hands. The fourth thing he talks about is misuse of our hearts. Misuse of our hearts. And I kind of like this because here's how that translates. Wicked imaginations. Wicked imaginations. The thought of wickedness. And what that means is a heart that... that devises wicked plans. As I was studying this, I thought this was real neat. Translated, this means this, to plow or to prepare soil for wicked plans. That's how that translates. When in our hearts, we begin to prepare the soil for wicked plans. Of course, that's, that's not talking about literal soil, but what it means, it's scheming against an innocent person or rigging something up. It's plowing the ground for that. It's making preparations that, that we're going to come together. We're going to think this, devise this plan up, and then we're going to put that into motion. We're going to begin to plow and prepare for that. God puts our hearts with our minds, our souls, and our bodies. So he's saying when in our minds and we, we bring these things together, we use our imagination to devise some kind of plan, some kind of scheme against someone else, either for our good or for their bad, and we, we begin to think about those things, and we're thinking, how can I get? How can I get back at this person? How can I get even? How can I get ahead? And we begin to devise these schemes within our mind. God says, I hate we do that. We might do this by, by wanting something good to happen or something bad to happen. Either way, but when we devise those things, and we begin to say, this is what I can do. Now, let me give you an example that make this real clear. Y'all remember David. Uh, who was in the lion's den? Thank y'all. It wasn't David, was it? Y'all remember how Daniel ended up in the lion's den? Remember those satraps? I'm going to say David. Y'all just know I'm talking about Daniel. Uh, Daniel went every day. He knelt down. He opened his windows and he prayed every day. And if you read that story in Daniel, it says he had so separated himself from these other leaders, they couldn't find anything that he was doing wrong. 
So in their hearts, they devised a scheme. They came up with their imagination and said, Hey, we're going to tell the king, for this week, nobody can pray to anybody but you. And the king had that haughty eyes. He was proud. He said, Hey, that sounds good to me. So they put this decree out. And what did, what did Daniel do? He went and he prayed just like he had prayed before. The other, the, the other satraps there, the other government officials, they went to the king and they said, see what Daniel's doing? He's praying to God. See how that scheme, they, they, they put together a scheme and they begin to put it into place. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about when we begin to devise a scheme within our minds. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See how that fits with what he's saying there in Proverbs? He's saying we have this, this tendency to use our imagination. We have a tendency to, to take our hearts and to begin to, to prepare soil for wicked plans or wicked schemes. He says, he says, Christians, we need to cast down our imaginations. We need to, any high thought that exhausts itself that's against what God would have us, and we need to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And in Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or anything is praiseworthy, what are we to do? We're to think on those things. We're to concentrate upon those things. So he hates that. He hates when our heart devises these things, and this fifth one goes right along with that. Once, our, once we've misused our heart and we devise this plan, then he says we need to be careful about the misuse of our feet. And what that means is that's talking about feet that are quick to rush in to those plans. We devise a scheme and, and feet that are quick to hurry in and begin to put that scheme in place. It's just a, 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 not a falling or a sliding into sin, but it's feet that, that run to that sin and say, oh, that's a great plan. Let's put it into motion. I, I, that's what those, those satraps done. They said, hey, this is a great plan. And, and their feet went, and they began to put those things in motion. Till, till I started putting this together, I didn't really realize how many scriptures deal with our feet. Do y'all like feet? Is your middle toe, longest toe on your foot? Just, just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. We are normal, okay? We are, Amy, yours is, because I, 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 I looked at your feet the other night, <laughs> and uh, Denise has got some funky feet because her big toe is longer than the rest of them. Isn't that nasty? That's not right, whoever said that. You're, you're supposed, your feet are supposed to look like this, not like this, you know. But, but the Bible has a lot to say about feet. No, they're not. We were not going there this morning because we don't have time. But, but misuse of our feet, listen to this. And we're not going to read these scriptures, all of these scriptures, but over in Matthew 8, 22, Christ tells us this, how we're to use our feet. He says we're to follow him, okay? We use our feet. We look at this, and it says the misuse of our feet is when we run towards evil plans. Christ says, follow me. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 
says we are to run from evil, not towards it. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of wicked, is considered to be blessed before God. In Psalms 1.1, Proverbs 1, 15 and 16, My son, do not go along with them. Do not set your foot on their path, for their feet rush to evil, and they shed innocent blood. Here's the kind of feet that we as God's children should have. In John 13, 1 through 17, we're not going to read that whole passage of Scripture, but you know what that is? That's where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And what he was doing is he was saying, Your feet and your body that I gave you, they're to be my servant. And that foot washing, that was the, 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 the one for the lowest servant to take care of. That was the, the, the job of that servant. And Christ came and he cleansed their feet that they might go in his service. We're to have beautiful feet. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what our feet are to be doing. We're to be rushing to, with good news. We're to be walking the streets and walking with good news. Ephesians 6.15 talks about preparing our feet. He says, let our feet be shod with the gospel of peace. Let our feet have that, that fitted sandal that, that we're able to move forward with the gospel of peace. Obedient feet. In Genesis 13.17, God told Adam and Eve to go and walk the length and the breadth of the land because he's given that to us. He said, I want you to be obedient to me in your walking. So when we think about this, God loves us and he gave us our body and he wants us to use our feet to spread his word, not to run towards evil. Number six, the misuse of our testimony. That's, that's literally he that breathes out or utters false witnesses. It's kind of lying, but it's more than lying. It's, it's to perjure. It's to, it's, to, it's to say something against another person and you're lying against that person. You're you're saying something that's that not not really not true. That's really not true, and and you you may be distorting the truth that you can hurt that person. God said, "I hate that. I hate when we when I, when people misuse their testimony." Here's an example of that: Matthew six fifty nine through sixty one. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus. So they could put him to death. They didn't find any, though many, though many false witnesses came forward. And finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. What, they, what the priest did, they took that false witness, that false testimony, and they used that to destroy Jesus. Now, that was God's plan. But, but God said, I hate when we use those, those slandering words... That causes people to, close friends to separate. That, that, that causes people to be suspicious of one another. When, when we plant that little seed of doubt and, and we just throw out those few words that, that make people say, hmm, I, I didn't know that. And, and there, there's just not all truth there. There's just a, maybe a shred of truth. But we allow through our testimony. You know, truth is the only relationship. A relationship built on anything but truth is going to crumble. Because as the truth is revealed, what's going to happen? That, that relationship's going to start falling apart if, if it's not about truth. Then there's going to be some doubt raised and some different things. 
the problem with this is, is when we are a false witness or a false testimony, the problem with that is you rob a person of their highest treasure. Their, you, you rob them of their reputation. And, and you, you rob them of the confidence that friends have in them. We can go back to that last scripture. Whatever's good, whatever's wholesome, whatever's, uh, whatever is, is admirable, think on those things, speak on those things. But sometimes we tend to, to use that testimony. Listen to what Proverbs 19.5 says. A false witness will not go unpunished, but whoever pours out lies will not go free. Zechariah 8.17, Do not plot evil against each other, and do not love to swear falsely. I hate this, declares the Lord. Malachi 3.5, So I will come and put you on trial, and I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. See what he says there about perjurers, those who bear false witness. He says, okay, I'll come and I'll testify against you. That's what God thinks about it when we misuse our testimony. Number seven, somebody say amen. We're going to make it, aren't we? If y'all are wondering, I've got 17, 16 minutes. Misuse of our influence. Misuse of our influence. God says, I hate that. And, and the emphasis on those who intentionally seek, uh, seek to destroy harmony among believers. Did you hear what he's talking about? I don't think we have that problem. But who knows? I, told, I was told one time, don't ever brag on your strong points because that's where Satan will attack you at. And we need to be careful if we say things intentionally that destroys harmony or unity among believers. Proverbs says this, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost part. Do y'all ever share your food with anyone? I mean, you go out to eat and you order a steak and they order shrimp and they order uh, lobster. I mean, whatever. I don't want no lobster. I don't like it. But, but you take a bite of your steak. Matter of fact, Denise done this Friday night and said, this is really good. I'm, I'm going to cut you a piece, and then I'm going to cut you a piece. And then we take it, and, oh, that is really good. Yeah, you need to try this. And, and someone else tastes, oh, that really is good. Isn't that exactly what he's talking about in Proverbs? The words of gossip are like choice morsels. And, boy, we get in there and... Boy, that is good. I, mm, oh, that's, oh, that's good. Yeah, I got to share that with somebody. I got to let somebody else know about that. That's a choice marshal. Man, if I can get that word out, boy, that's great. But that's exactly what he's talking about here. The words of the gossip, those who, who have influence over others, and they get that choice marshal, and they want to share it with everyone else and say, hey, 
let me tell you about this, and it, it begins to sow some, some disharmony among believers, and, and, and there's something there, and that unity begins to drive apart because we've allowed ourselves to take that chewy, juicy morsel, and we, we begin to share it with someone else, and it, it maligns someone else. And, and God says, I, I don't like that. He says this, blessed are the peacemakers, those who I like, those who, who come together and say, you know what, let's, let's get this thing going, and let's, let's work towards God's goal and towards one common goal, and and let's throw aside those, those juicy morsels. Romans 16, 7 and 18 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way, and they're contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but they're serving their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. God says, be careful of those folks. Be careful of those that, that call up with this juicy moral because God says, you know what, they're, they have an influence and they're, they're using that smooth talk and that flattery and it brings division. This is what God desires from his children. Psalms 133.1, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. James 3.17 and 18, But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Did y'all hear that promise there? Those who, those who sow peace, those who, who first of all are pure and peace-loving and considerate and submissive, those peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Philippians 2, 3, Let nothing be done out of, out of, through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem his heart, himself better than others. Let me read that again. That's what we do. That's what I do. This is what the Bible says. Let nothing be done out of strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Matthew 5, 9, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When we look at this body that God gave us, He gave us a body to serve Him. These things, these seven things that He's listed for us, they're called abominations. We've discussed them. They're declarations of independence. Now I want you to think about this. All seven of those are declarations of independence. What I'm saying about that is it means I'm going to solve the problem. I'll spin the truth, I'll devise a scheme, I'll come up with another plan, I'll use clever speech, I'll run from here or from there that I might manipulate the situation. All of those, th all of those things are declarations. You know what the problem with that is? Is there's no relationship with God. There's no way to be dependent upon Him. If we're using our body or misusing the body that God has given us. This Proverbs chapter 4, it fits perfectly for a closing. And I want to close with that. Proverbs chapter 4, 18 through 20, 27. Listen to what it says. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, they do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. 
and turn your ear towards my words. Do not let them out of your sight and keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. And then this list he gave us in Proverbs 6, here's a similar list that he gives some warnings about. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from your heart. Keep your mouth free of perversion and let corrupt talk far from, keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways, turning not to the right or to the left, but keeping your feet from evil. Let's bow together this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for your words. And Father, for me today, and I hope, Father, for your children here today, Lord, this would be a great opportunity for us to examine ourselves. And then, Father, put these things into practice. I pray, Lord, at that, at that very instance, when our heart begins to devise a scheme, or our feet begin to run towards that evil, or our tongue begins to be misused. I praise at that very instant, Lord, your spirit would remind us of the things that are detestable to you. Father, I thank you that when we find ourselves in those situations, you tell us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, you, you want us to be like you. You want us to take this body that you've given us, and it's your body and to honor you with every part of our members. And Lord, I pray that as we examine ourselves through your word, we, Father, would correct those areas, not on our own ability, but through the power of the Spirit. You would allow us and you would help us to overcome the areas which we struggle with. Father, today I pray that uh, as we hate these things in other people, Lord, we'd be able to look intently upon ourselves and your spirit would reveal areas in my life and in the life of your children that we need to work towards being more like you. Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship together today in this place. Thank you, Father, for the rain, the sunshine. Thank you for your son, most of all, that gave his life and a payment for our sins that we might live forever as your children, Lord. I pray now as we come to time of invitation, I pray that you'd open our hearts, open our minds, and Lord, that we would respond to the wooing of your spirit wherever you would lead and however you would lead. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.